For you are no longer a slave, but a son and an heir of God through Christ. This is OutboundLife.org. Father, we just thank you, first of all, for who you are, because who you are is what we've become. And Father, we thank you that we're born of you. And Father, as sons and daughters, we come not to just hear words as if we're listening to someone that we're not connected with, just an authority figure, but we're coming to you so we can know what to be like and how you function and how you think because we are your representatives, but more than just representatives in a business, we are your offspring and your life that's going out. And Father, we just thank you for your love, your care for us and all you're doing and open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear who you are so we could be more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. Understanding the Father. Last night you'll have to get the tape and I will not go back over it because it was it was a short, quick message. But if you get it, I, I tend to talk in ways that bring a lot of pictures together. So you got you got to listen fast and take a lot of notes. I recommend don't even take notes. Just listen and then get the tape and you can study later. There is a principle called... The linguistic relativity principle. I have no idea what that means, but that's the principle. Linguistic relativity principle. And it means, says this, the way in which we think about the world is directly influenced by the language we use to talk about it. That's the relativity principle. So you, you the way you see things is how you talk. Now, to understand another culture is not about just taking words that they use and translating a word to a word. Because it's not about new language isn't just labels for the same thing we understand. Language emerged out of the cultures and beliefs of a people. Thus, a language to communicate that culture and belief came. So until you understand the culture and belief of something, the language that you know has no relativity to them. That is why when we translate, I can get a translator and we can go through and just translate my words and they could understand the words that I'm saying or they could know the words that I'm saying, but they don't have an application to them because there's no understanding of how to use those words. So in order for me to be effective in communicating using a translator, I need to understand how they think out there so I can use words and stories that craft to their concepts so they can understand my words. Therefore, it is critical for the speaker to actually know the audience. Which is why there was a disconnect when a people that fell below their normal position in life and went lower than what God had called them to do, Adam and Eve, he had to bring Jesus in to be just like them, to relate to them in order to bring them back up. So he chose to understand you first before you ever chose to understand him. But when you're understood, isn't that the most awesome thing? My, my wife loves it like, you understand me. You didn't just hear my words. Like sometimes we'll tell David something. Uh-huh. My son, he's 11. Uh-huh. Do you know what you're supposed to do? Uh-uh. Take out the trash. Okay. David, why didn't you take out the trash? Well, I didn't know you meant right now. 
I just thought you meant at some point in my life, take out the trash. Because in his mind, that's a task that is not relative to his environment. Change your socks. Just change your socks. Um, what part of go change your socks is not understood? But I have socks on. I don't need to change them. I'm wearing a pair. Do you smell them, David? <laughs> the odor is a key. See, the more you create the picture, the more the understanding actually happens. But the problem is if you enjoy the smell, you're not understanding why I should be taking this off. Ask your teenage boys when they come home from football practice. Hallelujah. It's not perfume, guys. It doesn't attract anybody. It's no pheromone in there that's going to draw the opposite sex. It's going to draw attention, but it's not the attention you're looking for. Back to the message. So let me just quote this. The real world is to a large extent unconsciously built upon the language habits of that group. No two languages are ever so similar that they represent the same social reality. The world in which different societies live are distinct, not merely the same with a different label attached. This is why, even if we could remove all the problems of our normal societal communications, there's still a misunderstanding from this group to this group because they're not connecting the same thoughts. So you could say, I don't mean that, and use the same words. They're still hearing what they're hearing because that's how they understand what that means. So God is so ingenious that he brings a word, but he does it in a way that connects to your heart what means something to you so that he could bring that word in. And all of a sudden a revelation happens. And once you see it, you can have it. But words are pictures. So again, words are an expression of what's being saw, seen, what's being heard, what's being understood from the speaker. So we're going to try to paint this well today. So that's language. So again, just because I live in a country called Thailand, and I master the Thai linguistics, the, the, the grammar, I could write it, I could speak it, I, could underst I can understand the words, does not mean I understand the person that's speaking, nor do they understand me. Very important. But here's what's amazing. The Holy Spirit gives us these gifts that absolutely go beyond all that. Remember, I was sitting at a table with the assistant director of probation, and she was sitting across the table, and we were doing an English class for the staff, and we had our, our staff that was helping teach the English, and they're from America, but they know Thai, so they're helping teach English to the Thai staff. And we're sitting at the table discussing something, and the, the assistant director can read English, and she can understand something, but speaking it, she struggles with. So she wanted to get her point across, so she was speaking to our translator in Thai, something to tell me, and I just started answering her question. But I didn't know she was talking in Thai. I thought she was talking in English. So I just answered her question. And our friends looked at me and they said, how did you just hear what she just said? I go, she said, da-da-da-da-da. I don't remember what it was she said. She, she said this. She goes, how did you hear that? You don't speak Thai. I go, it came out in English. 
But see, the Spirit of God started opening me up. There is so much to connect with people. Remember, it's not for you to look great. It's to connect with people. And if you're hungry to reach people and to touch someone else's life, He will do something that you can bring a connection that when the connection's made, they understand your words. They even understand your mistakes when you speak it wrong. Because I've spoken a few things wrong. We learned last night. I'm not going to bring up any observations. But I have such a graceful people that know my heart. I really love banners. Thank you for doing the banners. You'll have to listen to last night and you'll understand more. But I appreciate it. You know what's cool about a banner in war? The banner represented the troop, the group coming, and what was going to happen. And the enemy got fearful when they saw certain banners. And when the banner over you is love, that means you're the cherished one. You're of the royal troop. That is the most guarded and most protected. And you the, that's really not the place you want to go after first because it has the most around that. That's what we'll say about banners. Hallelujah. Now, when the Greeks talked about understanding, they would use it in this context. You don't understand Greek, so you're not... You're of... You're of, uh, what's the opposite of understanding? Non-understanding. You're, you're not an understanding person. They would use it in a way when you could speak our language, know our customs, know our culture, you're a person of understanding. When you don't know that you're not of understanding. So this is how that word is used. So when understanding is more important than information, if you could understand one thing, That means it can become a part of you, you can function with it, and it gives you an authority with that thing because you're confident with it. So understanding has a place of confidence that flows with it. But here's the thing. Most communication is not done through our words. It's words, but it's how the person delivers those words. It's called paracommunication. It is the of the gestures, the glances, the slight changes in tone or voice in the meaning of what we say or do. How we say something, how we deliver something, how we have our body language, how we do that changes the whole meaning of words. So if you can't see the speaker, sometimes you miss the points they're trying to make. Therefore, Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father do. Where does that leave us then? What does your Father look like? How does He speak it? What did Jesus see? He said He was a man just like us. So that means He had to interact with the Father the same way we have to interact with the Father. How did He see Him? How did he know what to do? How did he know how to function with him? We're going to get into that today. But I want you just to really let that resonate. Because the moment you can see how your father did it, his words mean something different. It's not just flippant, him sitting on the lounge chair. Go get me a cup of coffee. You know, that's not a real warm and friendly thing. But if your father's out there working in the yard, building you something, hey son, can you go grab me a cup of coffee? Yeah, Dad. Why? Because there's this engage. The, the actions completely change the whole context of the question. 
So I was really thankful Steve didn't wreck my message this morning because he used my passage of Scripture we were going to use. He hijacked me. But, you know, he actually introduced the whole process, so this is really good. That means great minds think alike. We have the mind of Christ, so we're all synced in. There's two passages of Scripture that deal with a man that understood the context of our God. He understood the ways of Jesus. The, 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 even the disciples struggled with this, and even the Jews, for sure, didn't get what Jesus was doing. They didn't get it because they were servants and slaves. You see, when you're a servant of something or when you're put under something or you have a bondage on you, you have a way of looking at the master from a whole different perspective. But when you're the son of the master, the same things could be going on, but you have a different way of thinking about that whole thing. So your position in life determines what you understand based on how the speaker speaks. If a CEO came in and gave you tips of running a company and you're just working in the janitorial business part of it, which there's nothing wrong with that because that's, you know, some of the greatest sweepers have gone on to change and run corporations. So that's not the point. But that might be your position within that company as janitorial. But the executives are having a meeting of how do we advance and grow our departments into four different states. Your perspective of that conversation is going to be relative to where you're standing. Well, how that's going to affect my job. If we merge with that company, I might lose my job. What about me? But if you're the executive, if we merge the companies, look how we could grow and the stockholders can. It's, it's a different wavelength that we're thinking. So God wants to bring us up into his position. So he first comes so we can understand him. Then he brings us up to sit with him at the right hand to understand how he sees the whole picture. The centurion comes. And Steve introduced this story really great. So you got the picture of his character, right? Now we see him, and in uh, Luke chapter 7 and verse 6, Jesus goes with him. And he's already not far off from the house. The centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter my roof. Therefore, I do not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word... And my servant will be healed. For I am also a man, listen verse 8, I am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. The word under means of. I am a man of authority. See, if you just say, I'm a man under authority, when I'm told to do something, I go do it. When someone says to me, go do it, I go do it. See, that's someone who's like under from that word. But the word is actually meaning of. I'm a man of authority. When I tell my servants to go, they go. When I tell them to come, they come. When I tell them to do this, they do it. All you need to do is speak the word only and my servant will be healed. I don't need anything but your word. Because the centurion understood something that none of the other people understood. This is why it's interesting. The centurion is the first one to declare he's the son of God when they saw him raised again. He truly is the son of God. Then we see the centurion given alms and acts, and God has to go change Peter's perspective in order to go reach a man that was seeking the God that Peter was to go tell him about, and he's the one calling for it and took this centurion to get him to get saved. The centurion understood something that most of them didn't. It's talking about authority. And I'm not referring to 
being under authority, even though we're under authority. See, when you're under authority, you're also of authority. You're not just the servant of authority, you're of authority. You're an officer. You're an executive of the authority that you're under. So therefore, your word is the same as the Caesar actually saying that word. So if the centurion would say go, it might as well be the Caesar saying go. And he understood who he was and his position in authority and he saw it in Jesus. You are a man of authority to speak your word. Now it's interesting, Matthew chapter 8 verse 5 through 13 tells this exact same story. But it says the centurion actually came to Jesus. Why in Luke would it say that he sent a messenger and would not even approach Jesus, but in Matthew it says that he came to Jesus? Are the disciples wrong? Is the Bible split? Maybe we should peel one of those pages out because it's not the true story. But see, we don't, we're looking at words and knowledge versus the actual understanding of what is being said here. But both are critical of why they're different. Because in that day, the word was as important as the man. And the man was as important as the word. We don't have a context of that in our society because our words mean nothing. We have to have a contract, another contract, four lawyers and a judge to uphold anything, and even that's in speculation. We don't value our words. We don't connect our words to our identity. Our words and our identity are no longer connected. But up until even 50, 60 years ago, your word was who you were. You didn't need contracts. The handshake was enough. And it was to your death and your hurt that you would fulfill that word. And to your dishonor. This man saw that. So if you see it in the first one, Matthew comes. Or in Matthew, he comes. But it says the centurion came to him. In Luke, it says he sent a messenger, a word to Jesus to come. It was exactly the same. Whether he sent a word or whether he sent himself, it was no different. Therefore, when he's told Jesus, just speak your word only, you don't even have to enter into my house because your word is equivalent to who you are. He saw and understood the context. He could handle the word because he could handle Jesus. He could, he understood both and how they blended together. So it's hard when people say, you know, I just got to listen to the word, but Jesus, what are you really saying? Who are you? Well, I'm the word. I know, but, but who are you? But I'm the word. But I'm just reading written words on pages. But see, when we have an understanding, when we have the life of the Word, you're actually handling who Jesus actually was. So understanding changes the position of both the speaker and the listener when there's understanding. So no longer, in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants. You see, I serve God not because I'm a servant, but because I choose to serve. If I'm just born a servant of God, I have really no choice in that matter, and I'm kind of stuck under the bondage of that situation. 
I can make it good and I can tolerate it, but I can tell in your personalities how you treat other people. You're still just stuck as a servant. But when you choose to go from this position and serve, people feel the love of that because you don't have to be there. But you choose to be there. So it says, I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. We just don't know what God's going to do. We're just unsure. Well, let's just pray. Let's just, well, we better make sure we get the will of God on this. No one ever finds it. You ever discover that? The people who pray that, like, okay, when did you get it? Did you find it? What's the will? How do we pray? Well, well, we're not sure. We're just going to, we're going to hope. That's not hope. Hope brings light and life. That's called luck. It's called karma. It's called Buddhism. That is the belief system of Buddhism. See, all religions are really pretty identical. When you remove the relationship and understanding, it's just nothing. But it keeps us in line and it allows someone else to be over us to keep us in line. But I call you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known unto you. So no more do we go into prayer saying, we just don't know. God, I just don't know. We could pray, I don't understand, open my eyes. Because really, if you look at it this, if you can see it, it's called belief. If we can't see it, it's unbelief. See, when you believe something, everybody did something today without even thinking about it. Whatever your morning ritual is for getting ready, you did it. You buttoned your shirt. You did did whatever. Why did you do that? It's because of what you believe. It's how you see it. It's how you function. How you treated someone today was just how you believe. It's how you function. The unbelief is trying to take a new idea and embracing that new idea. And that becomes a little bit harder because we don't fully understand what that new idea is, but we want to. Which is, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. There's a part, I really believe who you are, but I'm having a hard time wrapping my head what, how to see that. And thank God he's light and that's what he comes to do. See, because when you believe something, you don't have to say, oh, I'm just really believing. No, you, it's an authority. I believe. I believe she's my wife. I believe we're married. I believe these are my kids. I'm not like, well, I'm really believing they're my kids. That leaves a whole lot of questions. That would pose a whole nother conversation that we should be having. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I'm hoping. Why is there doubt in that whole process? Well, there should be. That makes my wife look bad. See, see, that kind of believing hurts the one who's making the statement. But the real believing is, I need to be solidified. This is what I believe. And therefore, it's just fact. My name is Brian. Were you sure? Yes. How do you know? It was written down. Well, what does that mean? Because my parents said that's what they named me. And I trust them. So understanding changes this perspective. It changes faith. It changes believing. It changes everything. Once you can see it, you can have it. And we talked about in, uh, last night, we brought this up, but I'm going to just highlight it again. Ephesians 4.18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance 
that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So God wasn't doing this to them. They took on the belief that they were lower than what God said about them and they became darkened in their understanding because they could no longer see it the way the Father sees it. Then they gave themselves over to anything. Because when you're groping in darkness, you're looking for anything that's going to find some kind of rest to the darkness. So people in darkness that do stupid things, they're just dark. They can't see. The other point of this, when you understand and can understand something, there comes an authority like the centurion. There comes an authority with it. One time I had the privilege of going hunting. And I'd gone hunting before when I was younger, but I really didn't plan on killing anything because I didn't want to clean it. So we, you know, we got our bows and went bow hunting. And I'd rather go stalk the deer. You know, that doesn't work very well. Just, I've learned very fast. They're smarter than you are. But it was more fun moving around, so I think just being out in the woods walking around and getting ready and act like I was going to shoot something was kind of fun. But that was my whole journey of hunting. But when we were living in South Carolina, we had some friends of ours that said, we need to take you hunting. Now, I'd met hunters that are pretty devout before. I had never met something like this. I'm in deep heart, South Carolina, and these guys were hunters. They had their land that they bought. They fed the deer. They knew them all by name. And they shared this property. Now, when you bring an outsider on to shared property to hunt the thing that you've been preparing for all year, and the season's been open now for a month and you haven't caught anything yet, you're not really a big fan of the guest coming on the property. But because I was invited to go hunt, and I was even given the gun by my friend, I was given an authority to do something on that land. Now, I could have said, well, I'm not a good hunter. I've never done, you know, I, I, I probably walked through that to make a joke about it, but I was given the authority. But the problem was my friend forgot to bring the bullets. Now, I don't know about you. Not always the brightest bulb in the bunch, but without bullets, I, I can't throw the gun. <laughs> if I couldn't go up with a bow and arrow and stalk a deer, I'm not hitting it with a, a rifle. It's just not going to happen. So he went to the guy that was super happy that we're here as a guest. Said, we need to borrow some bullets. So the guy was trying to be courteous and kind, and he reached into his big case, loaded case of ammo, and gave me three for a weekend of hunting. I only had a permit for two. But the reality is, is three may not cut it. Hunters, have you used more than one bullet per hunt? Oh, yeah. And you're seasoned. I'm not. So they've stuck me up in a tree, and they decided to put me into the prime area. That was adding awesome relations with our guy at the place. Stuck me up in the tree, and I came prepared to hunt. I had two books in my pocket. I had my instant coffees in my water bottle. And I was planning to get some reading done because I really was not all that interested in hunting because I didn't want to clean it. I like shooting. I just don't want to clean. So we made an agreement before we went in the tree. If I shoot something, you have to clean it. He said, no problem. 
So I'm sitting in the tree, and God begins speaking to me about authority. Man was given authority over this earth till they surrendered it to the enemy. Because the temptation that Jesus had in the gar- in the when he went into the wilderness, the third temptation, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world because it is my it is rightfully mine to give away. This is Satan speaking. It's not a temptation if it isn't real, just so you know. It was real and Jesus knew it. So we had been given authority, but we lost it. But guess what? Jesus came and redeemed back our authority in this earth, because it's the son of man who has authority on this earth. If you ever see Jesus talking, the son of God, son of man, son of God, son of man, son of God, son of man. The son of man were the things that man had the authority on this earth to do, but man wasn't walking in their authority and Jesus did. So I got my three bullets sitting in the tree, got two in the chamber or whatever the thing is. I think I could load two or I don't know what it was. I like shooting. I don't even know much about anyway. So we're ready to go. I'm sitting there reading and God arrests me. He said, why don't you call for one? I like laughing at myself. It's funny. Everybody says, man, if God would just speak to me about this. Man, he's speaking to you all the time. It's the thing you're laughing about. I'm like, well, I can't do that. You might be wondering, that might be God's voice. Because obviously if it was you, you'd be saying, I could do that. I could do that. Not the thing God speaks. Uh, I don't know. So I said, what do you mean? So why don't you call? For, what do you want? So I want a big deer. Why don't you call for it? Okay. And where do you want it? I said, well, there's this big open area right in front of me. I think I can get the gun. I can, I had some clear range. So he said, call for it. And I'm like, okay. Deer come. He goes, no, that's not calling for it. That's like, okay, I'll do it because I have to, because this is weird. You have the authority. You've been given permission to be on this land. You have been given the gun and you've been given three bullets Call for it. So I did. Deer, you come right there. I didn't say, okay, God, please send the deer. That's not calling for it. That's reiterating the instructions back to the one who's saying them. God, please be with us today. He never left. He said He was with you. And we keep praying God be with us. And we wonder why the other things we don't believe because we don't believe the simple things. When you were given a word to speak, that was a word over your car to speak, but you didn't go, oh God, please be with us on this journey. You were like, the blood of Jesus is our protection. There was, a, there was something that was executed in the word that was given, correct? And we're not digging through principles. I think you handled that very well this morning. I just want you to see a picture. There's a place of authority that God has given us. So anyway, I'm in the tree and I called for him and I'll be honest with you, there was some unbelief. But there was an anticipation because I had my gun up, had my coffee down, books back in the pocket. So I'm waiting. We have been out. I've been out now officially hunting. How how long is it like an all day thing from like, why do you get up at four in the morning? And if God wanted you up that early, he'd have scheduled a little bit later in the day. That's just not even normal. So up at four in the morning, 
I know that is for some of you guys, but you go to bed at 7.30. So don't say you're an early riser. No, you're an early sleeper. You're sleeping the same. Four in the morning. So anyway, we get up there. The sun just breaks. I'm in the tree. I'm there 15 minutes. I call for the deer. And 15 minutes later, this huge doe comes walking in and stands right in that spot. I pick up the gun, aim, pull the trigger. And then you know how they said that that nerve hit you for your first shot? It didn't tell after. And that thing goes, boom. And then kind of gets up and kind of scampers up. Now I'm going, you know, that, that would kind of hit me. So I get out of the tree, get down, I go find it, and it happened to go sit in a bush. Boy, that was a freaky experience, though. Because I came over the bush, I'm looking for this thing, and all of a sudden that thing leaped up out of the bush. Scared me for a while, so I had, to, I had to take a break. But within 45 minutes, I was dragging a deer out. Came back, my friends were super excited for me, except the guy that was the guest. And we brought it in and loaded this, this huge doe up, dragged it out, and I got, I went, pulled up, and he's like, he hadn't caught anything all year. He had been feeding these things all year. And here it is. So I went back, took a nap. Because I wasn't stressed about it. I'm just doing what my authority is. But see, I wasn't so in, 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 enraptured into all the sensory of my whole life being involved in that. I could just walk in. I didn't have a lot of it. I only knew what I could hear God telling me to do. Which is why a lot of times it's easier going into another country because you don't understand all of this, this stuff and you can just, I don't know enough to not do it. My ignorance kind of takes me further. In love. Do, do it in love though because that ignorance can take you another direction. But do it in love. And it takes you someplace. It's harder once you become very familiar with everything. That's when it starts becoming harder because now you start relying on that old sensory stuff versus the fresh sensory stuff. So we get up, have lunch, and he's kind of a little heated over there, this this guy. And um, we only used one bullet. And um, so we go, and the evening comes. He goes, you want to go hunting again? I go, yeah, sure. Got two bullets left. So we get out. Now we put, this time they didn't stick me in the prime place. They stuck me in the place that they have never caught a deer. Way in the back corner by this big open field. Nothing ever goes out there. So I kind of knew I was being set up. So I brought my books and my coffee, instant coffee and my water and ready to go and sat down and God spoke to me again. She said, you want another one? I'm like, yeah, but this time I'd like a buck. Within a 20-minute window, dun, 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 went and stood. I'm like I'm in that little house thing, but I'm kind of sitting on the step, waiting. Comes and stands right there. Shoot it. This time it just drops dead. I'm out for a total of 35 minutes. Drag the thing up. They hear the shot. They come. We load up the load up the deer. Now I will tell you one thing. I'm going to be more specific when I ask for things. I didn't ask for a big buck, though. But it was a three-pointer. But it was it was small, like a squirrel. Doesn't matter. It was still a buck. 
and you could still eat it. <laughs> and it was legal. I just need to be more clear. There was a little lack of understanding of what I should have asked for. But I asked for what I understood. So there we go. And we get out and we get back. This guy is hot. He's not looking at me. He's not talking to me. But you know what? I was given authority on that place at that time with the tools to do a job. And I did them. And then I went back up to the guy and said, I so appreciate you letting me come out and use this. And here's the change. I gave him back a bullet. I got two deer and gave back change of a bullet. We're still not friends today. (laughs) Here's my point. First, we don't let God have fun with us. We wait till it's crisis moment desperate situations, then God's going to hear us. And thank God His mercy is so awesome, He will. But we're not experiencing the relationship of how we see the Father because we don't play with Him. He was playing with me. Did it matter whether I got a deer or not? No. Would I have had a wrecked time enjoying the scenery? No. But I learned something. I learned his nature, I learned his ways, and I learned who he was, and I understood how he started thinking. And it shaped a lot of things that we do. But there's things in your everyday life that you go about with your own sensory, then it goes wrong, and we cry out for mercy, and he loves us so much, he comes in to help, but you're not really experiencing him any more than a rescue case. We're always the rescue. And again, thank God... That He's that way. But He wants to be so much more. He wants you to be putting the enemy on its feet. He wants you to enjoy your life and use Him in everything that you're doing. In the things you enjoy doing. In the things that you're working at. In the hobbies that you have. He wants to be there in those moments. Because that's when you know Him. My kids don't know me if I'm serious all the time. They don't know me. If it's only when it becomes official that I wake up at a certain time at a certain day and dress like this, it doesn't happen. But if it dress like this, and then they can formally come and talk to me about their issues of the day, and we discuss them, and then I send them on their way and say, go do it, and then report back to me in the morning. They don't know me. It's not till they can rustle my face and jump on me and try to tickle my legs at the wrong time. It's, it's not till then that they know me. But then they know my heart form because there's a relationship of understanding. They know my whole character. See, in John 5, 39-40, it says, you search the Scriptures. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the Scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me. In other words, he wasn't doing it to try to get your approval. Yet when you believe in him, he wants your approval. Here's what he didn't want. Your approval means nothing to me because the Spirit of God is not within you. But when you have His Spirit and you're approving of Him and you're believing in Him and you're acting on Him, you are making Him excited because you're bringing His value into your life. We're creatures that were designed to be believed in. I coach, I coach soccer. 
When I believe in my players and I talk about what they can do and I trust them with positions and activities, they do better because I believe in them. When they trust me and my word as a coach to execute the game plan and they follow it, they're believing in me. When we believe in Jesus, He can act on our behalf because we're empowering Him through our belief. When He comes to you and says, you are righteous, you are my beloved Son, you are the one I'm well pleased, you I've given the authority to go do, He's believing in you. We're belief creatures. He doesn't randomly hope and going to give it a shot. Well, I'll give this one a shot. Because you know when you're just given a shot. Because you screw up that shot, you're not coming back. He doesn't. He fully invests in you before you're even qualified. He doesn't just put potential into you. See, a nuclear actor has a potential to be a bomb. Correct? Doesn't mean he'll ever be one. It just has the potential under certain circumstances to become one. When he calls you something, you are that thing. Not could potentially become that thing. He didn't say to David, one day you have the potential, young man. The prophet did Samuel didn't come to David and said, you know what, you have the potential one day to possibly be the king if you work all these things out. So at that day, I just want you to know we're kind of keeping an eye on you. You're on the short list. No, he said, you are going to be the next king of Israel. 14, 16 years later, before it ever manifests and everything you go through. But what would he, Jesus, David says, I meditate on your statutes day and night. What was the law? What was the decree David meditated on day and night? I'm going to be the king. I am the king. I am the king. I am the king. I can't believe you picked a shepherd boy to be the king, but I'm the king. But see, when you know what you are, he don't have to strive to be the thing. He wasn't needing to get Saul out of the way because he knew he'd be the king. Why would I go and try to make my way when I'm already it? But had he said you have the potential to be, he would have killed Saul. See, if we're just the potential to be something, you will strive, if you really want it, you will strive to get that thing. But you've lost the understanding, the picture. That's why he calls you what you are here. And let it live out until you get there. It says, for you believe Moses in verse 46, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Second, I just want you to process that for a minute. How did Jesus find himself? In the Old Testament, of all the words that were written. Every story, every word, he found himself. He didn't read it of what he could be. He didn't read it as a manual for good living. He read it as, this is who I am. And he absorbed those words because he understood these weren't words of what I could be. These are my mirror that I look at of what I am. That's why he was bold. That's why he believed, because the imagery came from the whole Old Testament, the spirit of it. But it's interesting, he caught the spirit of the Old Testament, and he was grace and truth. But Moses brought the law of condemnation. 
How did he read the same thing and came out with grace and truth and everyone else read it, came out with condemnation and judgment? Same words, but it was the position he sat in when he read them. 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 18. But their minds were blinded. Now I'm going to ask you, what, what time does service get done? Perfect. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ, even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When does a wife remove the veil? You're now husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. You turn to the Lord. You're now one with the Lord. When one becomes one with the Lord, the veil is removed. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we will all with but we all with unveiled face beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That means things that we couldn't understand are pictures of what we really are. But it's been veiled and unseen. And now God comes, bursts us, brings us to sit in His position, gives us His Spirit, Because the letter kills, but the Spirit, same sentence. One's killing, one's bringing life. How can I bring life saying one word to you and it could bring life and the same words to the person behind you is killing them? This is how they're seeing it. How they understand that picture. This really stood really real to me. I'm just, I'm not even going to, I want, here's what I want from you when you walk away today. I want you to pray and ask God to reveal yourself in Scripture. Jesus found Himself in Scripture, so we're just like Him. So how do we know what Jesus looked like? You have to go back and find out what He saw in Himself to know what He was. Does that sound logical? Okay, I mean, if I'm not being logical, then I'll go home. And have dinner and recline. So Judges 13. We're going to talk about that guy that screwed up his whole life and repented at the end, even though he was given all this superpower. You know the one? Samson? You know how deceived we've been on reading the story in that light? He's the most misunderstood character in all of Scripture. Let me just tell you a little bit about Samson. This all happened to me. I'll make this real short. But I was going into jail and God said, you need to speak about Samson. And I went through the same argument that just I just threw in your head right there. They don't need to know what not to do. That's why they're in jail. Can we bring them some life, some hope, some redemption? Do we need to go through that whole cycle of, if you wouldn't have done this, you wouldn't be in the mess you're in, and da-da-da. We, we get it. You know, I've never had to tell someone who's been in probation what not to do. 
We all know what not to do. Somewhere in your heart, you knew what not to do. You did it for a wrong reason, but you knew what not to do. When the, when the sirens go on, you don't sit there and go, I wonder what he's doing. He must be trying to pass. No, you know when the sirens go on, what just happened. And then you start crafting how you're going to explain that. So Judges 13 is the story of a miracle birth. A couple points. Samson was born a free man. Samson was never under the bondage of the Philistines. The people were, but he never was. Because every time the Philistines tried to come at him or do anything that provoked him, he would destroy him. That's a man who knew who he was. He knew his authority. He knew he was righteous. And he knew a word was spoken over him. You're going to be a miracle birth and you will begin, your name will be Samson and you will begin delivering the people from the children of, from the Philistines. He knew who he was and where he was going at the time of his birth. And this story was probably repeated thousands of times to him as he grew because his parents experienced God in this miracle birth. And when something's a miracle birth, the parents tend to talk about it quite a bit. And they remind the kid over and over of how special they are. So he knew what he was. I'm going to fast forward this whole passage. If you change your perspective of reading the Old Testament and read it in light of the spirit of God and what Jesus saw in himself, how grace and truth flowed through this place, it is going to peel back the lens that you're going to start enjoying things that you've never even thought were possible because it's going to reveal who you really are. See, in the New Testament, there's not many heroes that we read about. I mean, there's some characters, but there's not this heroes. The whole Old Testament is hero, 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 right? And infamous, 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 right? There's these stories, these characters. Why isn't that like that in the New Testament? Because you're the legacy of the New Testament. In Hebrews, it says these things, they only saw a glimpse, but they are incomplete until you take everything that you've been given and you are the actual completion of their story. You're a new story. It says when your name is written in the Lamb Book of Life, it's not like you go in and you check in. Check. Membership paid. Good. You're in. Bill, check. Lamb Book of Life. No, the Lamb's Book of Life is your name and the story that that represents. You're the story. You're the epistle written. So he goes on. He's this miracle birth. He's living. Every time the enemy provoked him or an obstacle that went against his identity provoked him, he rose up in anger and the Spirit of God came on him. Now, this is interesting because you got to catch this. God works with you. Some of you have never been provoked for nothing. Well, I guess it's the way it's supposed to be. But you've never been provoked. See, when you're provoked, an injustice has been done to you and it provokes something. Now, if I go mess with any of your kids, I'll see some provoking. You're provoked. Why? Because they're yours. You're the authority. You're not even thinking of identity. These are mine. You're a protector of those things. And I, you will be provoked into action. But Samson needed to be provoked. So he loved this woman. I know she was a Philistine. I know he's not supposed to marry a Philistine. I know she's the wrong woman to marry. But we don't read the Bible. When's the last time any of you have read Samson? Recently? We got one and a half. I bet you none of you have even picked it up because it's like this kind of a pointless story of a superhero that's broken. Well, I know how that one goes. It says this. Verse 14. 
father and mother said to him, No woman among the daughters, isn't there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me because she pleases me well. I mean, something's wrong with this guy. But you know, Samson knew who he was. And it says he judged the nation of Israel. And he's written in the hall of faith. So God's opinion of Samson is this is a man of faith. Your legacy that the, the world was not even worthy to have. That was God's opinion of Samson. So how did we create such a distorted view? Because we misunderstood the story. We've lived, looked at it from our brokenness, trying to find brokenness in someone else to make us feel better that we're not so bad. But God says, quit looking at it like that because I said you're complete. So look at it from a completion point of view and not a brokenness point of view. Quit identifying with the woman at the well. Thank God for those that need to. But at some point, sit with him, Jesus, and look at it from how he saw it. He's teaching you how to reach the woman at the well and quit spending time as being the woman at the well. And if you are, rise up in boldness and go win your city. Just a thought. So the, um, Steve says I have two minutes. Okay. So, but here, look, look at chapter 14 and verse 4. Listen to this. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. His father and mother did not know it was of the Lord. That he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For all that time, Philistines had dominion over Israel. He wanted Samson's heart of love of a free man to go out. Because when something happened to this woman that he wanted to marry, it provoked him against the Philistines. Because up until this point, he had no reason to be bothered with the Philistines because they weren't bothering him. He was happy. God wanted to get his heart involved in a situation to provoke him to begin moving because without Samson's provoking, the Spirit of God had nothing to work with. See, when something rises in like almost like a righteous passion, we've got to do something. The Spirit of God goes with that. But sometimes we pray and how we've been taught, well, we're even like speaking in tongues. Well, I'm just waiting for God to move my mouth. I don't think it's for today. See, it's not moving. He doesn't work like that. A child doesn't learn to speak by coming out and saying, well, father, mother, thank you for having me. It was a splendid trip. It was a little dark, but we made it, it was a tight squeeze. But here we are. That doesn't make any sense. We have to start. We take this gift and you start with something. And you start acting on it. And pretty soon the Spirit of God starts coming on it. And pretty soon it becomes clear and clear and clear and clear. And understanding is what's happening. But all the words are done by what they see first. They hear it. They see it. They watch your mouth. And then they repeat it. That's why when you speak into a kid's face, they understand it more because they memorize your muscle movements of your mouth. So this was God. Now let's now let's flip over. So he goes through. He judges for 20 years. He has a couple different events that go on. He slaughters a lot of people, but always without blame. It was never out of his own 
personal revenge. Well, they hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them back. It wasn't that kind of thing. It wasn't out of self-centered focus. He, his identity was, I am the deliverer of this nation. I am this person, and I will fulfill, because God's word's going to fulfill it. He knew who he was. This is how we're supposed to be living as Christians. So when the enemy comes something and provokes an area of our life, even if it seems out of sorts, we should have a righteousness to say, no, devil, you don't get that. Let me tear you apart just a little bit. And the more you start tearing them apart in little things, the more it becomes easier in other things, and pretty soon he's leaving you alone. Until he brings in more, and then he starts hurting people that you love, and then you start getting into action that way. And then people aren't happy with you. I'm convinced that he went had to go seek someone outside because his own people couldn't understand him. Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not, so to as many as would receive him, to them he gave the power to be the sons of God. Let's close with this. Judges. Chapter 16. Verse 22. He goes to Delilah. Loves her. Says he loves her. Not very often in the Bible does it say a man loves a woman. In the Old Testament. It wasn't really a common... They're married. It's arranged. It's But when they love them. This is a powerful statement. He loved Delilah. She was not a prostitute, just so you know. Loved her, and he gave his heart to her. He gave the secrets of his heart to her. Nowhere in the Bible did it say Samson could not tell the secrets of his heart. You know, it's interesting. Jesus brought 12 men in, called them friends, and revealed secrets, and he knew one would betray him. Would we call Jesus stupid? Isn't every... Wife want their husband to open their heart to them? If you love me, you would tell me your heart. Try holding Samson. Well, see, look what happened with Delilah. Are you calling me Delilah? Opened his heart. So anyway, gets his hair cut off. And it says when he tried to break away, the Lord had left him. It's interesting on the cross when Jesus gave his heart to mankind. It's the first time he ever cried out, my God, my God. He always was Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was the first time Jesus had felt what it felt like to be disconnected from the Father, which we all have experienced. See what Jesus is seeing when he's reading the book of Samson? He's seeing himself. He saw how the Spirit of God moved on someone, the same Spirit that was on him, the same Spirit that's on us, that same Spirit that is the relational connection between you and God. This is how He functions. This is how He functions. So He prays this. So actually, so they take Him, they bind Him, they put chains on Him, they pluck out His eyes, and they put Him behind a grinding wheel. First time, Samson understood bondage. Jesus on the cross was the first time he understood bondage. He felt, see, Jesus felt everything that we felt. He felt what it feels like to be abandoned, to be rejected, that feeling that God doesn't care anymore, that God is gone, that God is, but see, God never forsook Jesus. It's how Jesus felt in that scenario. Because it was the first time he was lowered than his position. 
Samson was lowered than his position had always been. And he felt the bondage. I love in verse 22, it says this, However, there's always this great however with God. However, the hair on his head began to grow. When does your hair start growing? Well, maybe not in all the places you want it. When does it start growing? It's always growing. His hair began to grow. When he felt his hair, he reminded, wait a second, who am I? I am the deliverer, the miracle child that was called to deliver this nation. Self-pity didn't come. Anger at the people that he loved didn't come. Frustration and victimization didn't come. Anger at an enemy that took away or attempted to take away who he was. So they brought him out to make mockery of him. And he led him. And he stood by the pillars. He already knew what he was going to do. He already knew what his heart was. His heart was set. He's not, he's not like, oh, if I wouldn't have been with Delilah, oh my, I should have kept my secret. No. The same way Jesus made it to the cross was the same way Samson made it into the prison. He loved. Love does that. But there's something powerful in that because it takes you to the heart. If you take a bomb and put it outside the city, but if you could, is one thing, but if you can take a bomb and stick it in the most central, central place of a city, how much more destruction do you have? You don't just tear down a wall, you tear down the infrastructure. When Jesus went to the cross and He died, the pillars, the temple was shaken. The veil was broken. He destroyed a system that held man. Love breaks the system of bondage. He doesn't manage problems. So I want you... This is your prayer. Listen to this. And Samson called to the Lord saying, laying on his face, weeping, in remorse? No. He said, oh Lord, he said he was standing by, he was standing. Because we know that because he led him over to the pillars. He said, oh Lord God, remember me. Not like if you can remember. Remember me. Remember I'm your chosen child. Remember I'm the deliverer. Remember the promise. Remember me. And give me strength. He says, I pray, strengthen me, I pray, this once. I only need it one time. Strengthen me. That with one blow, I may take vengeance on the enemy for my two eyes. It wasn't his physical eyes that was bothering him. It was the first time he saw what his people were experiencing him. And he had been blinded to it by the enemy from this day, because he was just a manager of deliverance versus the deliverer. And the day he did that, he stood and said, and more were killed in his death than in his life. Let me tell you what happened to that city. When the Philistines broke, it destroyed the system of the Philistines and allowed Israel to form that King David's kingdom could be established.